Hi, this is Nancy Herald, and welcome to my show, High Road to Humanity. In every episode, I tell you powerful true stories filled with great wisdom that you can use in your own life as you strive for a higher road to travel. My featured guests will have their own unique stories to tell that enlighten your mind and your soul. So kick back, relax, and learn the secret to success when you take the high road. Hi, this is Nancy Yerald, and welcome to High Road to Humanity. And we have a fabulous guest here today with me. Her name is Carter Diamond, and she has written a book about her son's schizophrenia, and it's called Noah's Schizophrenia, A Mother's Search for Truth. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So I kind of want to preface the show with that. Now, like I usually do, let's talk about what's happening with humanity. I pulled a couple things up here today I want to address. And the First is Larry King, because I love Larry King, and he died at the age of 87 this week. And I just wanted to say, you know, I used to watch his shows and, you know, all the cool interviews, and you can even go back and watch his interviews, and they're just timeless, and they're just so fun. And he was just a great soul. So I wanted to mention um, that he passed, and he uh, got the COVID, unfortunately, and I kind of had heard that he had it. And when he did, I was worried because he's old. And he had health issues, but God bless and, you know, prayers to the family. I just wanted to say that real quick today. The other thing I wanted to bring up, which was really interesting to me, I was looking online, you know how I find these things and listen to this, you guys. So not that I have one, but my pillow CEO, Mike Lindell permanently suspended from Twitter. This was shocking to me. So Twitter has suspended Mike Lindell, the CEO of MyPillow from the social media platform. He had been using his Twitter account to spread disinformation about the 2020 election, including false claims of voter fraud and election ringing. Lindell's account was permanently suspended due to repeated violations of our civil integrity policy, a Twitter spokesman told NPR. So it was not immediately clear which post from Lindell led to his removal from the social media platform, but um, Lindell is closely ally of former President Trump and he visited the White House during the final week of Trump's administration. You know, here's the thing about this, you know, um, this is the scary thing about free speech. You know, we're all supposed to be able to speak, but now we've got these big companies that are deciding who gets to speak and who doesn't. Um, neither right or not wrong. It's it's scary to find out that people are being banned. What do you think about that, Carter? Well, I have pretty strong opinions about that. I'm I'm appalled at what's happening with our free speech. And uh, I can remember actually about a year ago having a conversation with an old friend uh, who really wanted to silence, you know, a number of different you know, personalities. And I I said, you know what? It doesn't matter what somebody's saying. In fact, if they're saying something really offensive, you kind of want them to out themselves and know who your enemies are, so to speak. Don't you? Know? <laughs> yeah. And you know, it was specifically with this whole Nazi narrative. And I said, right. and I, I grew up <clears throat> genetically 100% Jewish, right. even <clears throat> though I'm not a practicing uh, Jew. And I said, no, 
let we got to let free speech reign because otherwise the day will come when your free speech will be denied you too. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, it happened, it's going to happen to all of us and people need to stand up and say something. And whether you agree with Trump and in this whole situation, I mean, just because you're associated with them, they're going to knock you off of Twitter. I mean, I don't know. It's some really scary times that we're, we're in right now. It really is. I, I don't, I don't agree with it. I don't agree with knocking people off of Twitter. And then they've got this new one and, um, you know, you can join. So uh, it's an alternative. But then I heard people were trying to get that knocked off so that people didn't have free speech. And that's scary. Right. You know that? That's really scary. That's some scary stuff. Well, anyway, we need to get back to it. (laughs) (laughs) Having said that, you guys, I want to tell you a little bit about, um, this book that that Carter wrote before I bring her on. And and I'm just going to read a little synopsis here. So you guys get a feel for what we're going to talk about today. So um, one unremarkable night, Carter Diamond's remarkable talent, talented 50 15 year old son walked into the living room and shouted, every musician in LA is stealing my ideas and went back into his room. Minutes later, he came back belt in hand and began whipping the couch and shouting with escalating paranoia. Little did his mother realize their journey into hell had begun. As her son crumbles before her eyes, Diamond powers through the endless confusion and ineffectiveness of the modern mental health care system and demands not only a diagnosis, but a way to treat her son and help him live the fullest expression of his life possible. So having said that, um, let me give you a little information um, about Carter. Just so, and Carter, when I read your, your bio, I was like really thrilled. Um, Carter Diamond has a long established career as a classically trained feng shui consultant. And I'm like so big into feng shui. Arthur, in it, she's an author and an educator. She's worked with thousands of clients and students in the area of Chinese metaphysics, as well as having a background in yoga practices and meditation. She's based in Southern California, and she volunteers as a family member presenter for law enforcement crisis intervention training programs designed to give police police and sheriff sheriff's tools they need to better serve the mentally ill. Now, she's also been a member of the local NAMI group and intends to use this book as a national advocacy tool to better the lives of those living with schizophrenia. Welcome to High Road to Humanity today, Carter. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for coming on today. So what a trip you've been through. I mean, your son was what, 15 years old? Tell us your story. When did he when did he start showing signs of schizophrenia? Well, the, the more obvious signs began at age 15. Um, actually, I was blindsided. There weren't hardly any clues before that point. He presented as a really uh, physically and mentally healthy child, very social and, and hilarious, funny. Um, he he just fell apart the summer of his 15th year. And it took us a while, you know, to figure out what was going on. Uh, In fact, we, unlike some parents, we actually got him to a therapist right away. And yet we, that still was not guaranteeing us that he would get the help he needed. So Mm -hmm. the the memoir kind of outlines all the mistakes (laughs) that I made that we made for over a decade. Right. Now, were you divorced or at the time that he, so did you have support system or were you pretty much on your own or was his father around to help support you in this or? 
Well, I, I got divorced from um, my son's father when he was only about five. Oh, okay. um, and we had joint custody one week on one week off. Um, we lived close together 10 minutes apart. And that system actually that part worked. of our divorce actually worked. Yeah, it was did, okay. <laughs> yeah. Did he see any signs or say anything about your husband as far as you know, your ex husband as far as you know, well, when everything exploded at age 15, I got informed he was at his father's house at the time and the mm -hmm. stepmother called and said, you know, he's saying some really bizarre things. Okay. I asked what was he saying and they were so uncharacteristic of him. They were paranoid statements like he said that a neighbor, an adult neighbor uh, next door was stealing all of his ideas. Yeah. Um, so he had delusions about a number of people, including his father, you know, which was really sad because, you know, when, when you get divorced and you might have, you know, some uh, hard feelings about right. your spouse, when it's over the top and you know it's actually not true at all, then it's very stressful. So right. I felt bad about that for sure. Right. Now, did they put him on, did they immediately say he was schizophrenic or did they not know what was wrong? Well, ironically, the first psychiatrist that I took him to said he has schizophrenia. Okay. And then a month later, he said, no, it's social anxiety. And it's then okay. <laughs> he went undiagnosed for another six months or so until more hospitalizations. Uh, then it started to be, it, it varied from bipolar disorder with psychotic features to schizoaffective disorder which mm -hmm. means schizophrenia with a mood disorder as well. Right. So it kept, it changed for a while. Well, and, and the thing is, and I just wanted to ask you, you know, it started, when did it, it got kind of out of control and you needed to, to put him somewhere. He couldn't stay home. Could you, you had to go to work. I mean, what was the dynamic there? I mean, this isn't real life, you know, people want to hear about what happened. Did it get to a point where he couldn't stay home and, because you had to go to work or what was the situation? Well, in retrospect, he, he should have stayed at home, but we, uh, we were following the advice of some social workers who were affiliated oh. with the therapist and they insisted that the route to go would be to send him to one of these out of state schools where he would be taken care of. And at the time I lived in Los Angeles and there right. was this notion that we have to get him out of big, bad Los Angeles with all the entitled uh, teenagers, uh, you know, in West LA taking drugs casually, gotcha. blah, blah, blah. Gotcha. And so it made sense at the time as well. We looked into, uh, I think it was UCLA's uh, outpatient uh, adolescent program. They were booked for six months. Yeah. So at the time, we thought, okay, now it makes sense. And we thought it would be temporary, you know, maybe six months or right. so. But you just never know. Almost hey, listen, two we're going to go to commercial break real quick. But um, when we come back, I want to talk more about um, what you did in your situation to help so we can help other people. You guys, her book is called Noah's Schizophrenia. If you're watching me on YouTube, I'm holding it up. It's very good. If you have a child who has issues, this is a mother's search for truth. It's her story. And she tells you what happened. This is Nancy Yerald. This is High Road to Humanity, and we will be right back. Hang on, we have more stories to tell on High Road to Humanity. Check out Nancy's website, nancyyearout.com, to book a session with Nancy to learn how to tap into your own abilities.
Have you ever been in a situation where you needed a miracle? I think most of us probably have. Whether it's a financial emergency, health crisis, or some other serious situation, most of us know the feeling of helplessness and even hopelessness. Now imagine having to wait for a miracle for six months, even a year or more. That's the situation for thousands of children all around the world who are waiting for a sponsor. Their only hope of escaping the poverty around them is someone like you choosing them. This is Nancy Yarrow, and I'm joining with compassion to give you the chance to be the miracle in a child's life. For a little more than a dollar a day, you'll provide the physical, emotional, and spiritual support a child needs, not just to survive poverty, but to be released from poverty in Jesus' name. Don't make a child wait one day longer for their miracle. You can find out more or sponsor a child right now. Just go to my website, nancyyearout.com. That's www.nancyyearout.com. We want to thank you so much for listening to High Road to Humanity. This is where Nancy and her guests tell stories that will guide you and enlighten your mind and soul. Now, welcome back to the High Road. Hey, it's Nancy. You're out. This is High Road to Humanity. I'm here today with Carter Diamond. Carter, thanks for coming on today. I know this is a difficult subject to talk about, or maybe it's, I don't know, is it tough for you to discuss this? It actually isn't. <laughs> and I okay. can't explain why. Maybe because no, I'm me. so used to it now. Um, yeah. But even yeah. in the beginning, it wasn't hard to talk about. Right. Um, but we should say that in different cultures and societies, it's extremely taboo. And there are people who would rather, you know, move out of town than talk to somebody about their son or daughter's mental health problems. Well, and that's, and I want you to educate me in the audience, because from what I understand, and, and I'm glad you wrote this book, because I don't think there's a ton of books out there to help people. Um, and is that why you put it together, I guess? Well, I wrote it for a number of reasons. You know, I have this other professional life and I'm a writer. And so it was easy for me to write it um, as a therapy for myself. But I also wrote it always with the, the, the mindset that I wanted to get the book into the hands of local, state, and even federal legislators, policymakers, um, whistleblowing on what's going on routinely, uh, the failures of the mental health care system. Our story is not unique in that way. It's okay. actually kind of a composite of a lot of other people's stories. Um, and so I wanted to help family members realize they're not alone. I've had people call me and email me, say, oh, my God, your story sounds just like ours. Yeah. Um, and also give tips and, and advice and information so that people can avoid some of the mistakes we made. Well, yeah, you got him into some of these different homes and then he didn't have proper supervision and then you would have to go find him. Can you talk about that a little? Explain to the audience what happened. 
Yeah, and not every community has these, but in LA County, um, actually throughout California, they have what's called licensed board and cares. Mm -hmm. They're licensed by the state of California. Other communities might have them and they might call them different things, but they're really just one step above homelessness. Mm -hmm. And it's a place for people to live where the staff will administer their medication. If they're on any, they get three meals a day, they have a roommate, but they're not therapeutic environments. And a lot can go wrong in them. And so my son, you know, he got evicted a dozen times. Uh, he uh, why, caused- why did he get evicted? What happened? Well, there was property damage because he wasn't stable. The, okay. the psychiatrist assigned to him wasn't really helping. Right. Uh, the environment itself is very undermining. He would smoke in areas that he's not allowed to smoke. He would panhandle in neighborhoods. And eventually, you know, the board and care had their limit as well. They have their own rules about what you can and cannot do. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so he was getting uh, evicted and it became harder and harder to even find a place that would accept him. You know, and I just want to say, I started to say before, but I wanted to mention this, you know, growing up and this is my naivety. So I'm glad you're here today. Um, you know, we always were all afraid of the mental institution It had such a stigma, you know, as a kid growing up, I'll stay away from there. That's the mental, that's the nut house, you know, people called it. And then, you know, as I've gotten older, I've realized that a lot of these um, mental institutions is what they used to call them. I don't know if they still do call them that, but they've closed And so what's happened, what I've seen, and correct me if I'm wrong, I've seen most of these people have got lost in the system or they're homeless or the family just, you know, has had to take care of them. Is that pretty much what the deal is? Right. Many decades ago, when they started closing down the state uh, hospitals um, in favor of federally funded open clinics, they realized after the fact that people with the most serious mental illness are not going to voluntarily seek out treatment. And so things got worse and worse. And now we have this huge homeless population, many of whom are mentally ill. And uh, if they're not out on the streets, they might be in jail for having committed maybe even very petty crimes, uh, quote unquote crimes, like relieving yourself, you know, behind the Mm -hmm. bushes. And so um, that population that's homeless and incarcerated, that's mentally ill, is pretty much the same as what used to be the the number population who were in uh, long-term psychiatric uh, facilities and hospitals. Um, What, what, I mean, here's the situation that I see. I mean, are they doing, it doesn't seem like anybody's doing anything about it. It seems like it's getting worse. And a lot of these people, you know, have committed heinous crimes, not that your son was in that, you know, but there are a lot of people when they're not on their medication, they're not in their right frame of mind. And you can't, you know, what are you going to do if somebody's in that situation? Is anything being done? I don't see anything being done about this. Right. It's really messy because there are, for instance, there are two big uh, opposing camps. There are people, um, whether they're familiar with mental illness or not, who basically have an opinion that psychotropic medications cause people to become violent. Oh, seriously? Oh, yeah. There's a whole anti-psychiatry, anti-medication group of people. And then there are those who say, oh, the reason they're violent is because they went off their medication. And getting to the right medication or the right combination of medications is a whole problem unto itself. In fact, some of the problems with medication 
are um, because of the way insurance companies handle the situation. Well, yeah, so, that's half so. of it too. Because and I was gonna, and we haven't even talked about that. I mean, yeah. how has this been for you uh, financially? Um, well, it's had an impact, um, yeah. and for a lot of people, it bankrupts them. Families yeah. trying to find proper care that isn't covered by insurance. Um, there's the whole problem with the HIPAA privacy laws where parents are often shut out of the process and not able to uh, uh, converse with the doctors and the therapists because of the privacy laws. And there have been some tragic outcomes because of that, where the parents couldn't deliver the proper uh, accurate information about what was really going on with their loved one. Um, so there's, there's just so many because of the problems. HIPAA, because of this law, you know, yeah. it, people come up with this stuff, but they don't think these things through. And this is real life. So wow, this is just and, crazy to hear this. And the way the laws are now is that people have the, the right, they call it a civil right to be as psychotic as they want to be as long as they don't hurt themselves or other people. And so they wait until the 11th hour for many people before they force treatment on them because they haven't been really working on the preventative part or the intermediate type of care that somebody, even with serious mental illness, might accept um, if it was presented to them in the right way. So so we don't have those horrible um, asylums, those insane asylums that we had a century or two ago. Yeah, but, where people, but the people are just scattered. Yeah, it's your perspective. Do you think somebody's suffering when they're laying on the, you know, the street? I mean, and, yeah. I mean, what yeah. happens to compassion? I, I do this show for a reason. High Road to Humanity. What, where are we as a society, you know, where we have let all this go to the wayside? Because I know it's been going on for a long time. I'll tell you a quick story. I volunteered at a hospital, gosh, years back, probably 15 years ago, 16 years ago. I thought I'd be a real nice person and go to the, emer- and they put me in the emergency ward. <laughs> and I was, I was shocked. And it's, you know, I was shocked by the amount of homeless people that come in just to sleep. In the, right. <laughs> in, in, the, in the people. And then they wanted me to go up and take food to the psych ward. And I was actually afraid to do it, to go by myself, you know, um, because I'm not that big. I mean, if somebody could overpower me. So what I saw was just people going to the emergency room. And I saw that firsthand here in Albuquerque, actually. And because they didn't have any place else to go. Is that, have you seen that? Right. I mean, it's not, it's, it's not happening on a large scale, but I think the word is called malingering. And there are some homeless people and mentally ill people who are actually okay with being hospitalized because for them, it's like a low budget uh, motel where they can go and get some food, you know, be out of the rain or what <laughs> and they're have you. Okay. And, they're, um, yeah. and they may actually be taking up a bed for somebody who's psychotic and violent and, you know, so really have needing we have to prioritize, obviously, because there's a fraction of the number of beds available that there used to be. Right. Um, so that is one instance. And, you know, some people argue, you know, we, in our effort to destigmatize mental illness, uh, a lot of, you know, different advocates will say that mentally ill people are usually the victim of violence more so than the perpetrators. Correct. But an untreated mentally ill person is actually three times more violent than someone in the general population. And there's a reason why in the psychiatric wards that they're locked and the nurses have like emergency whistles. Right. There's 
there's a reason why social well, yeah, workers. Yeah. Cause if you don't know, um, you know, and I was going to ask you when he went and I wrote this down on my notes, he had some short-term hospital stays. Um, how, did, did any of those hospital stays help him in the beginning when you would take him? Not really. In fact, they made him when he was a teenager, they made him more irate and more, you know, incensed that this is what was happening to him. Okay. Um, you know, you do what you can and you do what's available to you, but he didn't get better um, from the hospitalizations. In fact, when I was trying to build a case for him to become conserved, one of the documents that I created myself was a bullet point history of um, his evictions I in see. between the hospitalizations. Cause I wanted to show that he never really was stable in between right. all the all hospitalizations. Okay. We got to go to commercial break. When we come back, I want to talk about where he is today. Where's Noah today, what's going on. And so we can talk about helping other people. You guys, it's called Noah's schizophrenia uh, is the book, a mother search for truth. I'm here today with Carter diamond. I'm holding up the book. If you're watching me on YouTube today, it's Nancy year out. This is high road to humanity. And we will be right back. Hang on. We have more stories to tell on high road to humanity. Check out Nancy's website, nancyyearout.com to book your first 30 minute coaching session for free to get you on your high road. Do you struggle with knowing the right food for your lifestyle? Is there really a one right way to eat? As a chronic dieter, I was always so confused by the food rules and the fad diets. Where to even start? That's why I decided to go into health coaching. As your health coach, I will help you find the solution that is right for you. I will help you find balance. Unlike most dietitians and nutritionists, I focus on a whole person approach, not just food. I address stress, sleep patterns, underlying root issues, and so many other contributing factors to health. And as a mental illness survivor, I love talking about ways to fire up brain health. If you're interested in learning more and maybe even a complimentary consultation, contact me at www.sparkingwholeness.com or message me on Instagram through the handle sparkingwholeness. And now let's get back to the show. We will be right back on High Road to Humanity. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, iHeartRadio, or download directly from Nancy's website, nancyyearout.com, so you never miss an episode of The High Road. Hi, this is Nancy Yearout. This is High Road to Humanity. I'm here today with Carter Diamond. Carter, thanks for coming on. I sure appreciate it. Thank you. Um, I just want to say um, on behalf of uh, the in East Indian community <laughs> who may be wondering, my name is actually pronounced Kartar. Kartar. <laughs> I'm sorry. See, no, I didn't okay. know that. And I always ask in the beginning. Oh, my gosh. So no it's one okay. embarrassed. So well, some Kattar. people say Cartier Diamond. You know, I love you know. it. Okay, we can say Cartier. <laughs> Qatar. I like that better anyway. <laughs> um, you know, I wanted to ask, where is Noah now? How old is he now? You wrote this book. How, you know, I, what, about a year ago, right? It came out. 
Um, yeah, I actually finished it during the March lockdown. That's um, what I thought. You know, okay. COVID yeah. 2020 and yeah. uh, got it published later in the year. Okay. Um, he, my son will be 30 um, come oh, May wow. in oh, 2021. Wow. Uh, yeah. So now it's half his life that um, he's had yeah. his mental illness uh, as a big part of his whole life experience. Well, what happened? Tell the audience the story. How did he finally get help? Because he does finally get help. What, what worked for you? Well, it, it did get extremely bad. Um, the summer of 2016, he did wind up homeless and the homeless capital of the world, Skid Row in downtown LA. Yeah. Um, I still have PTSD whenever a client wants me to come down to that area. I'm like, oh, makes me a little nervous. Um, we'll tell the story. What happened? Well, he was down there on and off for the, for the summer. Um, and um, I would go down to give him cash. I would go down there to give him debit cards. I would go to visit him uh, to let him know what was going on in the background of me trying to find emergency housing for him, as well as some social workers. Um, he pretty much hung out in front of Union Mission, uh, a homeless shelter. So I, I kind of knew where he was. Th that was one phase where at least I knew where he was. But it's, it's a third world country down there. It's very dangerous. Uh, one time I approached him and he was laying just splayed out on the sidewalk and I didn't know if he was alive or dead, oh you know, gosh. so it was very high drama. Now, how and old was he then when, when he was down on Skid Row? Well, he's 25. Okay. And, um, and I, you know, I explained also in the memoir, all of my emotions and just the absurdity of it, because in some other situation, of course, I would have scooped him up and brought him home and thrown him in the shower and fed him. And yeah, why didn't you? Why didn't you? Well, because of the lack of services, um, if he honestly, if he had been at home with me and acting psychotic, if I had called social workers or the police, they would have said, well, he has a roof over his head and food. So sorry, we can't help you. Okay. So sometimes we have to push the envelope and make the situation as dire as possible, taking all kinds of risks um, in, before uh, a lot of help can really come. So so it was not exactly strategic, but I was also waiting to see if my son would gain any insight into, you know, the consequences of his actions. I see. What okay. have you. Yeah. So it got real bad. And, uh, and then finally, with the last hospitalization, uh, he was able to get conserved. And what that means, that means that another adult like me could okay. be his legal guardian. Okay. That's when things got better when you were able to have a say so. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. And so you almost had to let him hit rock bottom. Yes, but me me seriously mentally ill people don't really hit rock bottom because if I hadn't, if we hadn't had various lucky things come into play, he could have easily died. And in fact, when the social workers went down to visit him on Skid Row, one of the last times, he said, I'm fine. I don't need your help, go away. And because those services are voluntary, um, they had to legally say, okay, you don't want our help anymore. And he would have merged right into that homeless population. And, um, you know, about a year later, he was telling me that his back was hurting him. And I said, wow, you know, what happened? And then he said, well, you know, when I was down on San Pedro, somebody kicked me in the back. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean... <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. So, and people were stealing his debit card. I mean, it, it's a zoo, you know, it was it's horrible. Zoo. Did you pray? Are you spiritual? I think of myself as spiritual and I, I meditated, I prayed, um, I called on my deceased mother to come and help. I mean, Hey mom, I can <laughs> use you right now. The grandson is having a hard time. Yeah. So I, you know, yeah. so I, I did try to muster up all of my spiritual strength to get through it. And of course you mentioned earlier, NAMI, N-A-M-I. Um, I went to family support meetings. I got a lot of help and support uh, from people who are in the same boat. We're the only ones that can really understand it. And, and that helped me negotiate a lot of different problems. Right. Now he was, how long was he there? And then you, you became his guardian. And then what did you do after you became his guardian? Well, he was hospitalized for over five months, waiting essentially to get into a higher level of care. They call them IMDs, Institute of Mental Disease. California still has some of them. I've spoken in in other uh, formats where the people didn't even have IMDs in their You met somebody that told you about this. Well, we're aw- once you get involved in the mental health care system, uh, yeah. if you have a loved one, you, f- you do find out about these. And so yeah. from a regular hospital, he had to stay there five months because there was a waiting list right. to get into a place that he should have gotten into within a couple of weeks. Um, <laughs> some people wait a year to get into the IMD. How come? What's the waiting? What's the wait for? The, the sheer volume of people who need help and the lack of, of these facilities. Um, like LA County has a lot of different services, but the high number of people who need them means that you'll wait for months. Um, How many facilities are there where you are? Um, well, as far as the locked IMDs, um, I don't know how many there are in California and I'm new now to Orange County, but in LA County, there were about a dozen and they might hold about a hundred people or so. What's the IMD stand for again? Institute of Mental Disease. Disease. And supposedly when they go there, that's where all the therapy and, you know, the the higher level of care is supposed to take place. Is this new? Is this something? I mean, I've never heard of this before. So when did these come into play? I wonder. They've been around for decades, but a lot of states have completely eliminated them. Okay. That's where I'm, that's where the disconnect is. Cause yeah. So they've eliminated them. Now they're coming back. Is that what you're finding or what do you Mm -hmm. see? No, in fact, these IMDs that I'm referring to are still only temporary. We're not talking about the long-term ones where people stayed, you know, for forever. These are temporary where people might stay for six months to two years, and then hopefully they get stable and better, and then they get discharged to a lower level of care, which might be one of these board and cares. And the cycle repeats because these programs aren't good, and they wind up back in the hospital. I mean... I think it's outrageous that my son was hospitalized about nine times, but I know people, their son or daughter has been hospitalized 40 times. I mean, dozens of times, and they still don't get the care that they need. So hospitalization doesn't seem to be the answer. Medication seems to be the answer. Yes. Well, it's part of a a comprehensive treatment and there's, you know, a dozen different medications. Some of them uh, people do well on some don't, Um, but the whole mental health care industry is, is crippled by lack of will, lack of appropriate services. And, you know, it doesn't even make sense fiscally or economically. You would think that 
they would at least create programs that worked in their financial interests instead right. of all this recycling. And then the incarceration aspect gets very expensive to put somebody in jail compared to actually providing them a dignified, you know, way to live. <laughs> it's so it's, yeah. it's all kind of upside down backwards, um, no matter how you look at it. It seems like, and I hate to be so harsh, but it seems like we've thrown our mentally ill away. Right. They are, they are still the most stigmatized, marginalized population. I mean, right now, everybody, you know, cares about this demographic and that demographic and everybody being represented, but people still don't get it when it comes to serious mental illness. In fact, we've had to insert that word serious mental illness because people aren't uh, taking it seriously. Well, no, there are people who, let's say, maybe they're high functioning, they have episodic depression, we could say they're mentally ill, but maybe they're a lawyer. Uh, the seriously mentally ill includes a population that doesn't know they're ill. Right. Like someone with Alzheimer's, they have lack of insight. It's called anosognosia. And so they're the hardest to treat. Generally, they don't want help, but they need Because they don't realize they need it. They need it more than anybody. Oh, man. And that's the population that is still getting shoved aside and funds for mental health care are still going to the people who are asking for it. Um, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. So who are these people that are asking for it? The, the, the people at the facilities or individuals or? Well, you know, there are people who have marriage you know, problems. There's people who have socioeconomic problems. And there are people who have mental illness and post-traumatic stress disorder and suicidal ideation. And there are people who definitely need help and they need, you know, they need the mental health care industry to support them. But for the schizophrenic who is homeless and says, no, I don't need your help. And by the way, I'm, you know, I'm Lady Gaga, you know, <laughs> when they're not, you know, I mean, there's people who have delusions about who, who they, who they are. are. I know. I um, know. And so, so those people still get pushed aside. Um, right. They are the hardest to treat, but they are our society. 1% of the population has schizophrenia. About one to two percent of the population has bipolar disorder. I didn't know that. That's a high, that's a high number. Hey, listen, we got to go to commercial break. We'll be right back. We're going to talk a little more about this. I still want to find out what happened to Noah and how he's doing. You guys, I'm here today with Carter <laughs> Diamond, <laughs> and her book is Noah's. Um, I'm sorry, schizophrenia, a mother's search for the truth. I'm, I'm laughing, but she, we're, she's a fun guest and I'm really glad she came on our show today. Hey, it's Nancy Yearall. This is High Road to Humanity and we'll be right back. Hang on. We have more stories to tell on High Road to Humanity. Check out Nancy's website, nancyyearout.com to book your first 30 minutes coaching session for free to get you on your high road. Do you feel like something is missing in your life? Do you feel lost or alone? Do the things you buy for yourself lose their luster quickly? Are you searching for fulfillment within your heart and soul? What if you were given the ability to change your life for the better? To create what you want for yourself? What if I told you you have the ability to tap into the universal energy to design the life you desire? 
This was my discovery many years ago. As a businesswoman and a single mom, I had no choice but to pay attention to what the universe was revealing to me. And I learned how to use it for my benefit. When you wake up and pay attention to the messages that the universe is showing you, your life will change for the better. Because we all hold the ability to tap into the universal energy to enhance our love life, our career, our finances, anything you wish. This energy was created for our use and it's free. Now, I'm excited to share this information with you in my book, Wake Up, The Universe is Speaking to You. It's available to you on my website at www.nancyyearout.com. That's N-A-N-C-Y-Y-E-A-R-O-U-T.com, Barnes & Noble, and Amazon. And thanks for picking up my book. And may the energy of the universe bless you. Join the millions of women each month who listen to Wise Health for Women Radio. Women are pressed daily to give more, learn more, and be more, often at the expense of mind, body, or spirit. Join us for revitalizing conversations on fresh ways to view your limited time, encouraging new, healthier perspectives. You provide a special spark to those around you, and you manage many roles, entrepreneur, mom, wife, coach, friend, daughter, and more. Here's a great way to inspire and nurture you. On Wise Health for Women Radio, host Linda Crater and her amazing guests share how to move toward your wishes and dreams and find what is possible in your busy life. If not today, then when? Take steps to flourish over 40. Join us on Wise Health for Women Radio, Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, on iTunes, and more at wisehealthforwomenradio.com. Helping women thrive. We want to thank you so much for listening to High Road to Humanity. This is where Nancy and her guests tell stories that will guide you and enlighten your mind and soul. Now, welcome back to the High Road. Hi, this is Nancy Yearout. This is High Road to Humanity. We're talking about Noah's schizophrenia. Um, we're talking about mental illness today on High Road to Humanity. And this is something that I'm really glad that we did this show and that um, that we're talking to Carter Diamond about it. Um, you know, where is Noah today? What's going on? Okay, we're coming up on two years that he's been living in a private residential program. Okay. It's called the John Henry Foundation. It's okay. in um, Orange County, California. I love and Orange County. <laughs> Yeah, and it's a rare jewel of a place. There aren't very many places like it. Um, and across the country, there are other, you know, high-level residential programs, but many of them are quite expensive. Right. Uh, so the John Henry Foundation really serves as an excellent um, a recovery model that's also affordable for a lot of people. And, you know, I wish that people in positions to create these residential uh, long-term programs would uh, take their cues from the John Henry Foundation. Well, what's it like? I mean, did, do they have apartments or how, how is it set up? Well, you know, they evaluate each person uh, individually. And some people have a roommate and some people like my son actually have his own room, which is nice. Um, they have these cute uh, bungalow cottages that surround a nice courtyard with sh shaded patio furnishings. Um, they have a 
half a dozen cats that they take care of and feed. And, you know, animal therapy is actually yeah. important in the process. And they have a program where people can, can pick and choose what kind of activities they want to participate in. Mm-hmm. They have a psychiatrist from UC Irvine visit them. They have a chef make um, all kinds oh, wow. of interesting, uh, delicious and healthy food for them. And they make sure they take their medication, I would imagine. Yeah. And they have, they have uh, psych interns that come to visit and prior to COVID and, and they're participating in the whole shelter in place um, uh, guidelines, even though it's not a locked facility, they they have been very careful. And uh, prior to that, they had activities seven days a week where they would take people to Barnes and Noble and Target Mm -hmm. and, you know, museums and beaches and, uh, Starbucks and things that people actually want to do. Yeah. How's he feel? Uh, How does he feel about it? Does, like when you come to visit, what's he say to you? He's more content than he's ever been. And he's also more um, conversational. He's more uh-huh. affectionate. He's balanced. He doesn't have the stresses of what he ha- was putting up with at the board and cares. And, you know, I didn't know any better. I thought that those were appropriate places for him to be. Um but it makes a world of difference when you have highly trained people who really care and take a lot of pride in, in what they do. The staff there is wonderful um, and they really encourage parent participation, mm-hmm. which is diametrically opposite of the rest of the mental health care industry, which wants parents to just go away. <laughs> in fact, some of well, the- Well, yeah, because they don't want you to know what's going on. And that's a, that's a, a red flag right there, isn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> Um, they have an exercise program. So everything is geared holistically towards the person's being stable and, and inviting them to do what they can do. There, there are even some people there who work. Um, there have been people there who go back to college. Um, my son's not at that level yet, but I hope he will be one day. And nice. uh, yeah, they have the security. He's made friends there. It's wonderful. That's awesome. Now, how do we get more facilities like this? I mean, how did this come into being, first of all, and how do we get more of them? Well, I don't know the whole history of the John Henry Foundation, but um, I have heard that they started about 30 years ago when a, a, I think a, a small group of family members in Newport Beach decided we've had enough of the lack of services through the government. We need to strike out on our own. Mm -hmm. And I often recommend that people in different communities, if you have no good resources, you might want to partner up with other uh, parents and people that you might, you know, meet through NAMI family support groups to create your own kind of co-op housing. Of course, we're advocating for for funds to be uh, delineated to better housing for people with mental illness. That that can happen. That can yeah. But why doesn't happen. the government? And I know you don't have all the answers. But what has been your experience with why the funding is not there to build these facilities? Why is it now into the people's hands, which is kind of crazy? I mean, we took we 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 closed them down. And now it seems like you have to build it yourself. Is that what this has come to? Why don't they get funding? What's the what's it's, the reasoning? It's such a can of worms. It's so politically charged, you know, in terms of how each uh, city, county, state, federal, how they handle this. It's mm-hmm. still so controversial. But in the big picture, there is a lack of housing. There's a lack of healthy, safe 
therapeutic housing. And, you know, there's that whole subject of nimbyism, not in my backyard. Yeah, people don't care. They don't want to have a halfway house or even a sober living house or a home for people with mental illness um, to exist. And then there are all kinds of um, uh, undermining things that take place with parents and family members who would be willing to have their loved one live at home if they could get more support. Yeah. And that was my question in the very beginning. Is that a possibility? And you say it is possible or no, you're, it's not possible. Sure. It could be possible. And each situation is unique where you have to decide, is it better for the family and the mentally ill person for them to live at home? Or maybe the dynamic is not. Well, I and mean, they- and I wonder if you can, you know, how when uh, for the elder, you can have somebody come in in assisted living. Is there such a thing for the mentally ill, I guess is my question. It's real haphazard. I mean, they have something in LA called in-home support services where you Mm -hmm. could literally have somebody come in. I think they're paid through Medi-Cal, but they will come and they will clean and they'll do grocery shopping and they'll do light housework and transportation. But there's a huge waiting list um, to get those services. Um, Same thing with social workers and therapists. Um, Some communities have what's called FSP. Uh, full service partnership where a social worker will come to visit somebody at home. They're all voluntary programs. Um, What I think is one of the cruelest things is uh, the government SSI program, uh, supplemental security income. And if somebody's seriously mentally ill and disabled, can't work, if they live in one of these crappy board and cares, they get the maximum uh, allowable about $1,000 a month, and the board and care will accept that as as full payment. Um, If the person lives at home, they reduce the fees down to like $650, and it doesn't make any sense because you're going to spend a lot more on food and other things when they live at home. So the system's broken is what you're telling me. It's a negative incentive for somebody to have their loved one live at home, and if that was somewhere else. Well, what can people do? I mean, what's the answer here? Well, people, people they can, you know, when you know what's wrong in your own community, you can certainly call your local department of mental health, you can uh, band together and advocate and get petitions for, you know, your (laughs) local (laughs) uh, board of supervisors to look at where there's neglect, where there's fraud, where there's lack of services. I mean, it has to be from a grassroots level at this point to get people to move and make changes and, uh, and, and everybody can choose one, one thing that they're really passionate about. If you try to handle everything, it will be overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Um, some people might want to focus on changing those HIPAA privacy laws. Another person might want to work on housing um, uh, or the laws that are in existence regarding involuntary treatment. Um, I really like what, I really like where he is right now. I really like where Noah is. I'm intuitive, mm-hmm. you know, and I, uh, I really like what they did in Newport beach. I think that's the answer. I think it's each community coming together and taking care of their own. Yeah. Family members have a vested interest anyway, so Mm -hmm. they do make the best advocates. (laughs) Yeah. That would be really cool if, you know, if each, each community would come together, if we could get the word out there and communities would come together and do their own facility, because that's almost to the, that way, you know, it's run properly. Cause I think when it gets in the government's hands, it's an, it's a mess and yeah, it just doesn't seem to work. Anyway, that's my feeling on it. (laughs) 
<laughs> but um, I'm glad you came today and I'm glad you enlightened me and the audience on um, schizophrenia. Thank you so much, Carter. I appreciate it. And also, you know, it is a genetically based brain disorder. I think a lot of people who don't have interactions with a mentally ill family member might assume that people turn out that way because of abuse. And I, and of course that does happen, but I've encountered through NAMI parents and other family members who are some of the most conscious, loving people I've ever met. Uh, and so it should be known that the parents are often in the background where they want to help their loved one, but their hands are tied because of the system. Right. And we have to change that. We do. We do. Wow. What a great cause. And thanks for coming today, you guys. Hey, you guys pick up her book. It's called Noah's Schizophrenia, A Mother's Search for the Truth. It's Carter Diamond. Okay, you guys, here's her book. And I hope you guys will pick it up. Um, Is there a way that people can contact you? Yes, I I created a website uh, just for the book. It's called Noah's Schizophrenia.com. So that's Noah, N-O-A-H-S, Schizophrenia.com. And through that website, um, there's also links to Facebook uh, and Twitter accounts, I'm blogging on a regular basis, articles cool. and information. So it's it's slowly developing where you know people could use it as a resource for more information and guidance and advocacy. And I don't just post my own articles; I post other interesting uh, blogs and articles from and other social media. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. Well, we sure appreciate you coming on today, and I we got to get out of here for today. But you guys, uh, join us again next week. This is Nancy Geralt. This is High Road to humanity and we will see you next time take care bye keep the motion can achieve you go let's hit the Hey, you guys, join me next week on The High Road for more stories filled with wisdom, love, and hope for our future. Have a fabulous week and know that by staying on The High Road, you will make it to your destination. Visit my website, nancyyearout.com, where you can book a private session to learn how to tap into your own abilities. And check out my YouTube channel. It's Nancy Yearout's High Road to Humanity. You can achieve your goal.